Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A warning to indigenous people listening. This podcast series includes stories of physical and sexual violence, suicide, and death. Listen with caution and care. It's fall again in Thunder Bay. The air is crisp here. It's cold enough that it stings the skin if you're not dressed for the weather. On days when the sky is blue, you take advantage of the brisk temperatures and you get outside before winter sets in for the next five months. It'll snow soon. Aaron, whose name has been changed to protect their identity, volunteers for a safety patrol group that used to be called Bear Clan Thunder Bay. It's an indigenous-led group of community folk that take to the streets of the city to care for those on the fringes. On a good patrol, Bear Clan will discover people in trouble before they get hurt. There are also days when they find people afterwards. On this day, Aaron wasn't volunteering out on a patrol. They were just out for fresh air. For the sake of the family, we've edited out portions of this conversation because it contains sensitive details, information we weren't comfortable sharing. The weirdest thing about the whole thing is that um, I was just, like, completely overcome with anxiety the other day. As I got home that night, I just laid there, basically in bed, and just let these waves of anxiety wash over me. And it was nuts. I had a really hard time sleeping. I called up a good friend of mine to see if they wanted to do a walk, just a short one. And it's funny, because I actually named off a whole bunch of different areas. They don't know the city super well, so I'm trying to help them get to know it. And I named off a whole bunch of spots. And where we ended up going wasn't an option. I didn't list it. I didn't even think about it. I just drove there. Chapels is a huge park. So I went and parked over by one of the rec buildings in the middle. And so we were just cutting across, and then we were going to do half the loop. And we got to uh, around the side of one of the recreation buildings, and they had, like, I think it was about eight, nine nets just kind of lined up over all along the side, jutting out of the building. And I didn't really think much of it at first. And then my friend looked over and said, oh. And so I looked back and, and there was a lady sitting there. You wouldn't have seen her from the road if you were patrolling with flashlights and everything. She was wearing all black. She had black hair. I just thought maybe... We just thought maybe she was kind of passed out or something. Maybe she was sleeping. We weren't sure. So we started talking to her, asked if she was okay. And the closer we walked up, we realized it was a, it was a different situation. When you mentioned nets coming out of the building, what, what, what do you mean? What did you see? Soccer nets. Soccer nets. I see. They're ginormous soccer nets. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. She's in between goalie posts of nets. I see. I'm pretty positive there was no pictures taken mm-hmm. until later. Because um, the crime scene of Van did show up later on once they had already let us know we could leave, but we didn't. And what, what happens uh, next for you? 
Ojibwewin. This is the Ojibwe word for truth. Ojibwe is a verb-based language. The language itself centers the actions we take in the way we live. When the word Dubwewin is broken down into its many parts, it actually translates to to speak only to the extent to which we have lived or experienced. Dubwewin. Truth. To speak only to the extent to which we have lived or experienced. Truth is what finally caught up to Thunder Bay in the last few years. The last time I came to this town, to this, the homicide and hate crime capital of the country, I wanted to know, why does it all happen here? The answer, I learned, was because of racism. Deep-seated racism. Not just in the town's DNA, but racism stemming directly from the country's colonial history, right up to its colonial present. I found here a racism that's baked into the schools, into the police, into City Hall, and yes, into its citizens. And I discovered something else. The fact that so many people in Thunder Bay, including some of the most powerful people here, simply refused to acknowledge that racism. They denied it, angrily. There may be some racism, but there is racism everywhere. You know, there's like discrimination against other kinds and stuff, or other races, I mean. I hate to sound like a racist, but we bring in people, a lot of people from northern communities who have grown up in very uncivilized areas and we're throwing them into civilization. They don't know how to handle it. When a moose is sick, it goes to the water and it goes and it drowns itself. That's the only explanation that I can, I, that I possibly have. Nobody pushes them into the water. They just go to the water. It's a natural progression. When people are sick, when moose are sick, when animals are sick, they go to the water. After a podcast and after a major book about this city, after inquiries and investigations into the deaths of seven First Nations youth that left more than half their deaths unexplained, racism was no longer something Thunder Bay could deny. It was no longer the opinion of outsiders pointing a finger at Thunder Bay. It was a fact. It was proven. It was the truth. It's a truth elsewhere too, all over this country. But this is where it got so bad that there was just no denying it anymore. Thunder Bay is Canada's first post-truth city. What I've come back here to find out is, what happens after the truth? When a country's dirty secret is exposed, when a bright, glaring light is shined right at its face, does the sunlight disinfect? Does a town like Thunder Bay change? Can it change? I'm Ryan McMahon, and this is Return to Thunder Bay. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Pretendians is brought to you by BetterHelp. Angel, you seem a bit stressed. Do you have anything you want to get off your chest? Anything you're bottling up? I mean, compared to some of the people on the show, I'm good. But of course, like most people, I do carry around a lot of worries and anxieties. I'm this mom who goes around and works her tail off and I do the carpooling because the teenagers don't want to drive. I think I'm just overextended and that people don't really appreciate me sometimes. I appreciate you. (laughs) Thank you, Robert. Well, talking about this stuff seems to help, and not everyone has a podcast where they can work through it. So that's why there's therapy, like BetterHelp. Angel, have you tried therapy? I'm a huge fan of therapy, actually. Some of the things that have helped me really keep all these plates spinning are the coping skills and strategies that I have to deal with stress, like setting good boundaries or knowing when to say no and all those things um, I wasn't able to do before therapy. If you want to experience the benefits of therapy without the hassle of trying to find your own therapist, check out BetterHelp. It's been used by over 3 million people worldwide and it's available in the US and Canada. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash pretendians. That's betterhelp.com slash pretendians. Yeah, it was just waiting there. But it, as soon as we turned this way and started walking on the road, then that's when he was, he was coming this way. And he was, like, driving about that fast, like how those cars are driving. That's Melissa Kentner. In January 2017, she was walking down D Street in Thunder Bay with her sister Barbara. As a car drove by, Melissa heard something hit the ground, and she heard someone in the car shout, I got one. When she turned around, she realized what had happened. Someone in the car had thrown a trailer hitch at them. And then she's, my sister's like, she's bent over like this, holding her stomach. She's like, miss, I got hit with something. It hit Barbara and ruptured her small intestine. A young white man named Braden Bushby threw the trailer hitch after a day-long bender at the lake. She died in July, six months later, as a result of complications arising from this injury, according to the coroner. Bushby was finally charged with manslaughter in November. Following the coroner's report, a charge of second-degree murder was laid. But then, shortly before the trial, the charge was changed to manslaughter again. Imagine how hard this was for Barbara's daughter, Serena, and the rest of her family. A charge is laid, putting a name on what happened, murder. But then, according to the state, it's not. You get a court date, you mark the X on the calendar, and you wait. As each day passes, the date gets closer. You prepare yourself emotionally. You book days off. You make a plan for supports. Then the date changes. And then it changes again. Braden Bushby has admitted he threw the trailer hitch. Nobody's contesting that. Barbara Kentner and her sister were minding their own business, walking down the street like anyone else. Except they are not anyone else. They're Indigenous women. This trial will determine what justice is for her daughter Serena and family. Indigenous people across the country are watching this trial to find out what their lives are worth to Canada's justice system. 
Once again, an indigenous person has died in a way that defies explanation. And once again, the eyes of the nation turn to Thunder Bay. In 2019, 862 people were reported missing to Thunder Bay police. That is 2.3 people per day. That's seven times higher than the provincial average. Missing. In the city. Every day. Sometimes these are kids that come from northern fly-in First Nations to go to school here. In the mid-2000s, a practice began evolving in Thunder Bay. When one of these kids goes missing, people from northern communities go to enormous expense to charter planes. They fly into the city, and they walk. They search parks, waterways, and long-abandoned corners of the city for their loved ones. As it became more common for First Nations youth to go missing, those efforts became broader. A hockey team or classmates would join in. Out of this sentiment, a group of Thunder Bay community members came together and they started walking. They were unfunded, they worked outside the system, and they were called Bear Clan Thunder Bay. It's 9 p.m., minus 20 degrees Celsius, and the Bear Clan Patrol is meeting at Thunder Bay's Confederation College. On this night, the volunteer patrol group is heading to a local shelter to hand out hot drinks and snacks. Do you want some chocolate bars? Some, we got some chips, too. They started this work because of missing youth. Last season, we told you about First Nations youth who came to Thunder Bay to get an education because there's no high school in their communities. Seven of them died in Thunder Bay between the years 2000 and 2011. You might have heard them called the Seven Fallen Feathers. A coroner's inquest was called into what caused their deaths. So we're talking about Jethro Anderson, Robin Harper, Paul Panagies, Curran Strang, Kyle Morisot, Jordan Wabas, Reggie Bushy. And it's Reggie Bushy's parents, actually, that that pushed the hardest for an inquest. That was Jody Porter, who covered the inquest in 2015 for CBC Thunder Bay. And there were two more deaths, Kyle and Jordan, before the inquest actually happened. And then there was the problem with the jury role, that there was no mechanism for any Indigenous people, any First Nations people who lived on reserve, to be part of an inquest. And that took years then we finally get to the inquest and there was a decision uh, not to hold it in the courthouse and there, the First Nations leaders had to fight for that. And then you finally get into the courthouse and the first day it was the smallest room possible in the courthouse. There's not room for people there. So when you ask me how Thunder Bay responded, I think putting up a barrier at every point in response to people's requests, First Nations people's requests, demonstrated, even if it wasn't said in words, the lack of willingness. The inquest lasted nine months and heard from dozens of people. If the inquest was a narrative, it was set up so it started with the pathologist testifying about the alcohol level in the blood of the students who had died. And it ended with a review of those pathology reports. And so the story was already written. The coroner decided who spoke first and last at that. And so it was already written from the beginning. That was the way that the system was going to account for these deaths. One might ask, why? 
And that's the same question that I think is at the heart of what the families of the young people who died, who continue to die here, why is it that their children deserve less in everything than non-Indigenous children? Reporting on Indigenous issues in Thunder Bay is telling the story, the same story, over and over and over again. And that was the story of the inquest, that there are two systems, one for Indigenous people and one for non-Indigenous people. And, I mean, it has ever been thus on this land since Europeans, since my folks showed up here. There was a fort with a fence, and there were people allowed inside and people on the outside. I think that one of my biggest failings as a reporter was not to pause at some point in that process and ask the very journalistic question of what are the options? Did it have to be an inquest? Did these deaths have to be fed through that machine? Did they have to become part of the system? That's the lingering question for Indigenous people in the city. Do we trust the system? Will the ambulance come to our neighbourhood in time, or do we go to the hospital ourselves? Do we go to the hospital at all? Do we call the police when we need them, when someone goes missing? Will getting the system involved just make things worse? We've heard this over and over and over again here. Sometimes you just have to do things yourself. Bear Clan Thunder Bay knew all along that something wasn't right and that what was needed was something entirely new. Those past, uh, you know, two years from 2016, there was youth that had been found in the river and I'd wanted to start the chapter earlier and, uh, you know, still have regrets that I hadn't began earlier, like that we didn't start patrolling earlier. But um, after Josiah Begg went missing, we had formed and had a search party out there. And when he was found, you know, being there for the family was like one of the the hardest things to witness. Like, you know, hearing his mother uh, scream, uh, just uh, it changes you. And you never want that to happen again. But it does. Over and over again, it happens. It was tough getting started. We had um, used a lot of our own funds. I remember, like, we took, uh, me and a few volunteers had taken a second job uh, just to fund the patrols. And we put a lot of hours and a lot of work into the community. We had spent about about 6K of our own money just uh, funding the patrols, yeah, for gas and for, for meals in the community. It was pretty hard. Rain or shine, Bear Clan Thunder Bay hits the streets a few days a week with no plan, no direction. Just the hope that they will find a few folks in need and they can lend a hand. We had someone reach out to us um, who was looking for their child, for their daughter. And and so, you know, we did what we would do with missing persons and ask them about the person that they're looking for, where they might be, places they might go. 
help making a post and then sending that information out to the moccasin telegram. So people who might know, and then all of a sudden you hear, oh yeah, my friend saw her at this place or um, I, you know, am one of her workers and I can call this person. And so within, you know, a couple of hours or a day, this person's found, they're back with their family. And then two or three days later, a police missing person's report came up for that person, which had been received when they were missing. And then they were not aware that the person had been found and located by their family. And so once they found that out, actually called us to intimidate us and tell us that we should have called them to tell them that the person had been found when all they would have needed to do was stay in touch with the family. We were told that we were wasting resources because we were yeah. we were finding people. And we also got a letter from the lawyers, the police lawyers, that um, we need to stop looking for missing people because we can put them in jeopardy. We've seen these documents. Bear Clan Thunder Bay was told to stand down, to not help. They were told they were in the way. You know, everybody seems to participate in it. It's Mox and Telegram. It's where, you know, these whisper networks where we, we tell each other, warn each other about certain people or, or things that are happening in the community. Like the systems that work on the reservation and we bring that into the urban context of what are your strengths? Like what are your superpowers? You know, what are you good at? So let's, let's work with that. The way they have chosen to work, no funding, none of the system supports, just a belief that they could make a difference. And they do. Their work may upset power in Thunder Bay, but when you have no other options, when you feel iced out of the systems as a whole, does that even matter? What if feeling iced out wasn't just a feeling? This is John Thompson. He helped us last season, and he's back to help us this season. He's a journalist, and he's been reporting on this city and region for nearly two decades. Welcome back. Hey, John. It's been a while. What did I miss? Well, it depends on who you talk to. Okay, let's uh, let's start here. The mayor, Keith Hobbs, who was charged with extortion and obstruction. Not guilty. He and his wife, Marissa, are changing their names, uh, and they've filed lawsuits worth $12.5 million against 10 police officers at the city, provincial, the federal level, as well as all the services that employ them. Oh, and they're also suing convicted sex offender Sandy Zaitsev. The lawyer? Yes. The guy with the million-dollar clown figurine collection in his basement. The very same. Uh, Okay, so... How about J.P. Levesque, uh, the police chief who tipped the mayor off that the police were investigating him? Not guilty. Huh. Okay. Uh, But there's a new police chief. Yes, there was a nationwide search. Uh, And? And they hired internally uh, the deputy chief, Sylvie Hoth. Right. Okay. So, So what's changed? There's a new mayor. Bill Mora was the MPP since 2003. He's the mayor now. Okay, and how's that going? Well, why don't we have an indoor turf facility in 2018? Are we still pursuing an event center, a new hockey rink? Or have we moved on from that for now? I'm not hearing anything about, uh, about public safety. When Morrow lists his priorities, these issues consistently don't appear. 
Okay, but it, it, it sounds like everyone got off and nothing changed. The Office of the Chief Coroner Inquest into the deaths of young people in Thunder Bay is really what brought us all together. This is the story that put Thunder Bay on the map. It's the reason we turned our attention toward the city in the first place. It's also the reason why we're back. And as the inquest was getting underway, there was another death. On the morning of October 19th, 2015, I was called out to the Niebing McIntyre floodway on a story that another body had been discovered in the river. That's two weeks into the inquest. The next morning, I was in the newsroom when the police issued the release claiming that there was, quote, no foul play in the death of 41-year-old Stacy DeBungie. I remember this being huge news because he's from my dad's reserve, Rainy River First Nation, but I never understood how they could have reached the conclusion of no foul play so quickly without even an autopsy. Well, it, it didn't start as huge news. All we knew at the time was that it was another body in the river. But this time, it changed everything. Barely three hours after finding the body, before Stacy had even been identified, police issued a press release. The death did not appear suspicious. A day later, before there'd even been an autopsy, there was another release. Police had deemed Debungi's death non-criminal. This is what kind of made me suspicious, like it's not a really a drowning, because his nose is off center, mm-hmm. and his cheek is puffed out, and there's a bruise underneath his eye. This shows that, that his nose is bent from a different angle. It looks like there was something else done to him. The debit card Stacy had used earlier in the day was missing. Even more disturbing, he found out that that card had been used again six more times after Stacy DeBungie's body had been found. DeBungie's family and the leadership of Rainy River First Nations filed a complaint with the Provincial Police Watchdog, the Office of the Independent Police Review Director, or OIPRD. They alleged a lack of thorough investigation into Stacy's death on the part of the Thunder Bay Police Service, and pointing to what they said were systemic problems in the investigations of drowning deaths among Indigenous men and boys. We need to be clear here, though. This was an investigation into systemic racism inside the Thunder Bay Police Service. That's right. It began in 2016. It was a first, unlike any that had ever been done in Ontario. Then the bodies of two more First Nations youth, Tammy Kiosh and Josiah Begg, were discovered in the river over a period of 10 days in May. Those two deaths were added to the investigation. The local reaction was explosive. The national media rained down on this city. This is when the most racist city in Canada headlines start. Across the board, right? But power didn't see this as any kind of a crisis. Then interim police chief Sylvie Hoth responded to more deaths and this term systemic racism, saying for her office, it was business as usual. The provincial human rights commissioner fired back, saying that reaction was, quote, emboldening those who seek to maintain the status quo at all costs. And the police board, you need to read this. This is from a press release. There are no facts that there is systemic racism in the Thunder Bay Police Service. These people work hard at their jobs. If they are going to be attacked and attacked, well, where's the evidence? We don't see it. John, what is this? This is the vice chair of the Thunder Bay Police Services Board, Brian McKinnon, who's been a city councillor since 2003. 
So within days, a second investigation began into whether the board that governs the police was doing its job. To lead that investigation, the Ontario Civilian Police Commission, or OCPC, recruited Anishinaabe Senator and former Judge Murray Sinclair. I'm Senator Murray Sinclair, independent senator from Manitoba, uh, former chair of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and also the former investigator into the workings of the board of the Thunder Bay Police Department. This is one of the only interviews Senator Sinclair has done on the role he played in the Thunder Bay investigation. We've never really had a discussion about what systemic racism is in this country. People are all over the map when it comes to utilizing the phrase. They throw it out too easily or they don't throw it out at all despite the evidence of its existence because they don't understand it. They don't know what it means. They don't know how it works. They don't know how it manifests itself. So there's that. We just don't understand it. We haven't studied it. And as a result of that, the public generally thinks that uh, systemic racism can only be established if you can prove that everybody within the system is a racist. And so people within the system who don't have racist tendencies or don't believe that they have individual racist tendencies will decline to accept that label. And so you're fighting a kind of an uphill battle to get them to recognize it. I've been speaking to conservative leader Aaron O'Toole just one week into his new job. Until someone defines what that is, Mercedes, I'm always going to say, I think there is racism and I want to stamp it out. But I I wore a uniform. I, I fight for people that wear a uniform. And when you use a term like systemic, some of those people feel that you're calling them racist. So... Can we improve community-based policing? Can we improve training? Can we make sure that communities that are losing faith in in the public services or the RCMP can have that faith restored? I'd invite you. What is the definition of systemic racism? There is no definition. It's tossed around. So for the record, here's Senator Murray St. Clair on the definition of systemic racism. Systemic racism is not about individual racism. It's not about intended racism. It's not about acting in a racist way. Again, remember, we are talking systems here. It's the way they're built. It's what assumptions they make with their rules, how that sets the course, and whom they privilege in their outcomes. Systemic racism is about acting in a way which benefits one part of society in a positive way and negatively impacts another part of society because of their race. And so when people begin to look at it that way, then they can begin to see, in fact, that there are many institutions in our society that are systemically racist and systemically biased. In the OCPC final report, Sinclair writes, the circumstances that gave rise to this investigation, an extreme level of racism and differential treatment by police towards Indigenous peoples in missing persons and death investigations and violence against Indigenous peoples generally in Thunder Bay, are not new phenomena, but long-standing issues, well-documented in media articles and various studies on racism in Thunder Bay. As this is all happening, a viral video exposed a Thunder Bay police officer slapping a First Nations youth who was strapped down in a gurney. A week later, 
week later, the body of another First Nations youth was discovered in Chapels Park after a five-day search. 17-year-old Braden Jacob from Webequay First Nation had been in town for grief counseling. In that climate, the OIPRD's Jerry McNeely released 200 pages, the finding of his two-year investigation. Overall, overall, I found that systemic racism exists in Thunder Bay Police Service at an institutional level. I have to say, John, this is the only press conference I've ever seen with a standing ovation. McNeely found systemic racism, overt racism, and widespread incompetence. He struck a multi-police service task force to reinvestigate the deaths of nine First Nations people. These are the ones we were talking about earlier. Those include four youth from the inquest whose causes of death were deemed inconclusive. These are not opinions. These are findings. According to the system itself, these are facts. What this says is that the Thunder Bay Police Service inadequately investigated some deaths of Indigenous people because they were Indigenous, using harmful stereotypes to make assumptions about how they died. Read this with me. Quote, For example, officers concluded that death by drowning meant that the death was innocently caused, rather than investigating how the deceased came to be in the water. Poor interviewing techniques, very poor supervision and oversight, repeated failures to interview key witnesses at all. It goes on. Inadequate training and mentoring of officers, repeated failures to understand the legal rights of witnesses or suspects. Files were not identified by the name of the deceased, but by locations where deceased were found, like marina or field. There's never been anything like it. This is CBC's Jody Porter. The benefit of those reports, the the OIPRD report, Broken Trust, and Senator Murray Sinclair's report, is that now people like you and I are able to say there's systemic racism in the police service. But that didn't make it true. Before that report, I could have done a story a week with a First Nations person who felt they were not well-served by the Thunder Bay police. And I did a lot of those stories. And it's hard work to do that before you have an official report saying that there's systemic racism, that there is a problem. So what did we gain in having those reports? We gained the ability, non-Indigenous people, gained the ability to say that it is true that there's systemic racism in the police service. And we can say that without having the personal experience, but it didn't make it more true. Maybe Indigenous people leading a standing ovation during a press conference announcing systemic racism inside of a city police force tells us all we need to know. It was a long time coming. A moment of vindication. Indigenous people couldn't be gaslit any longer. Maybe. But... Finally, it was on the record. Now what? A few weeks ago, me and a buddy of mine, were, we went for a little canoe paddle um, down the Niebing McIntyre floodway. And we were just sort of canoeing along, and then we heard this woman scream. Samantha Bird lives here in Thunder Bay. 
and then we see like the sirens, like 911 has been called and, and lots of people are responding. And so me and my buddy were sort of like anxious about what to do. Like, do we turn around? Uh, do we keep going? Are we going to get in the way? And then we see this police officer wave us over and he asks us like if he can jump in our canoe and if we can take him across the river. And so like in the moment, I just think like, man, for the past like several months in response to the death of George Floyd, I've been in conversations with friends and, and folks about what it means to defund the police. And since I've moved to Thunder Bay, I've heard story after story and witnessed firsthand the police treat Nishnabek poorly. But, you know, in the moment, all I could think was, OK, this man <laughs> wants us to take him across the river. And so I'm not going to say no. All I could think was, I don't hear the sounds of anyone trying to breathe or anyone fighting to swim. Like, I don't hear any of that. And so all I could think was like, I need to brace myself to like see a body be pulled out of the river. And I was just in disbelief because all I could think was like, you know, I've read about these things and I hear about these things and now I'm about to see it like with my own eyes. And I was, I just sort of shut down. But then after a few moments, we heard, uh, we heard this woman take like this huge breath of air. <laughs> um, once the woman um, was breathing again and they were they were pulling her out of the river she was a bit uncooperative and she kept saying again and again to the first responders like, you don't really care about me and it was like heart-wrenching because it's true in february 2019 Bear Clan Thunder Bay started hearing whispers that they were going to be targeted. No one really knew what that meant, though. Targeted how? There were rumblings that power in the city was not happy. We had a, a warning through a third party person in December that uh, something was going to happen, that we need to be careful. We didn't know what was going to happen. And that was through a third party, though it came from elected officials. As the ink dried on the police reports, elected leaders frantically defended Thunder Bay's reputation through the media. Things felt very tense in the city, and it was like the floodgates had opened and people were reporting their stories of surviving police brutality, with some dating back to the 1980s. We provided as much support as we could for people, but we were also overwhelmed, responding to an entire community where no other mechanisms for reporting exist outside of police. The Bear Clan Facebook page was warning their followers about specific vehicles or places as being unsafe. But things changed when they published posts alleging that Thunder Bay police officers were driving young Indigenous people to isolated areas of town and leaving them there in the wintertime. Across Canada, these are called starlight tours. Suddenly our Facebook page was shut down without warning. We later learned this was by another chapter of the Bear Clan, claiming a copyright infringement and stating that we were being divisive. We later found out that members from city council and the local police had submitted complaints to the other chapter. Thunder Bay City Councilor Aldo Roberto had reached out to police chief Sylvie Hoff. There were allegations made by this new organization claiming that the police were taking people out of town. I thought, OK, well, if that's true, let's find out if that's true or not, right? Number one, you don't want false things going out there. So I said, OK, if this is true, like we'll, we'll prosecute these people if there's police officers. But, you know, upon investigation, they all have GPS. They have between 50 and 100 calls a night. They don't have time to be taking people out. And there's video cameras all over the place by people that would record this. And it was, it was just, it wasn't true. On the heels of reports finding systemic racism in the police and its board, Roberto felt enough damage had been done. 
He asked the group to hand over whatever evidence they had to the police. They refused. You just can't say anything you want about, because the police already had taken a beating. Okay, so now when you have false allegations, why should they take more of a beating? I mean, if the police do something wrong, call them on it. That's fine. That's fair. But when they don't, come on now, that's ridiculous. So he called James Favel, the executive director of the original Bear Clan chapter based in Winnipeg. There's police officers actually on their board in Winnipeg, and they work with the police in the community. They work with all the organizations. They're trying to build a community. You work with everybody. Now, Fable spoke with local media, but Bear Clan Thunder Bay didn't. So the story that got told, the narrative the public had, was that Bear Clan fabricated this story. But their point wasn't to accuse the Thunder Bay police of anything. It was to warn the public about the experiences they were hearing and urging people to be safe. And the stories that we hear, we don't prove that they're right or wrong. We don't hold them to some sort of account. We listen to people as people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's been a problem with, some, with a lot of forms of media that have come to us, that it is about, well, what's the truth? What's the evidence? Well, we're listening to people and caring for them. That's the truth. But it didn't matter. In response, Roberto helped to organize leaders for a new patrol group. It lasted three months before folding, citing a lack of volunteers. Rather than walking the streets of the city helping those most in need, Bear Clan Thunder Bay was now dealing with irreparable damage to their reputation. They couldn't even defend themselves in the community because they had lost their platform. They lost the name Bear Clan, and they faced threats of violence and other retaliation. After all this, Bear Clan Thunder Bay was disbanded. Its public presence wiped out. According to the group, most damaging was that it lost its ability to help Northern families connect with their loved ones through social media. To be clear, a sitting city councillor helped get a community group of Safety Watch volunteers disbanded in a city plagued by preventable youth deaths because they didn't work with the police. The same police who had just been named, quote, systemically racist on an institutional level. It was traumatizing. We were, you know, pretty much in shock. And it felt like, I wouldn't know how to put it into words. I think the worst part of it was we were afraid for people up north that could no longer contact us on the page. And, you know, families that needed, that were concerned for their youth in the city. They would reach out and, you know, ask us for assistance or help looking for their, you know, their youth or... We were more worried about them, you know, still going through the motions of that trauma of um, what was happening in the city at the time. But I think we were more concerned for, for people. This didn't stop them. They picked up the work they had been doing with new spirit and new intention and a new name. Their new name, Window Dabwe Musiwin, when translated from the Ojibwe language, walking in truth. There's that word again. Truth. The new incarnation of the community patrol group vows to walk in their truth in the city. They've pledged to care for this place, no matter what, no matter when. Even if they have to go it alone. Even if they're just out for a walk on their lunch break. This is Mike. He was out with Aaron that afternoon when they came across a body. We've changed his name as well. 
And I'm like, okay, you know, it's, it's Thunder Bay. I've seen people do that kind of stuff before, like getting shelter you know, from the wind and they'll try to sleep in the daytime to, you know, get their energy back up because it's, you know, it's cold at night. And uh, I like to think I'm a compassionate person. So I went to go and I kind of pointed to my friend. I said, hey, we should probably go check on, on that person. And uh, we got a little closer and started saying like, hey, like, hello, you, you need help? Or, you know, like, how are you doing? And uh, there was obviously no answer. And as we got a little bit closer, like I noticed um, just from like external signs, like there was no signs of life. There was no no breathing going on, no movement in the hands or in the face or nothing. Um, and so as soon as we noticed that, like we called into 911. One of the main findings in the OIPRD report is that the cops are too quick to jump to conclusions when they find the bodies of Indigenous youth. They'd label it no foul play and move on. Mike was worried this was happening again, right before his eyes. Because I asked them, I said, why didn't you guys take pictures when you got there of the scene? Because I knew she was dead already. And they, they should have taken pictures of, of treated it as a, as a death scene, not as a, you know, a first aid thing, because they didn't do any first aid. And I was like, why didn't you take any pictures of how she looked when, when you found her? Mike is a university student. And like Aaron, he's a member of Window de Bue Musiwin. They're volunteers. They're not legal or forensic experts, they're volunteers. But they're both Indigenous. And as an Indigenous person in Thunder Bay, when pressed, you have to make a decision in the moment, with the best information you have, about whether you're going to trust the systems. Local power have always framed racism as a threat to the city's reputation because it centers them in the conversation. But now the truth has come to power. On the system's own terms, the evidence has produced the truth about this place, that the system is failing thousands of people in this community because they are Indigenous. In order to trust the system, you need to have a relationship with the system. But when the system itself doesn't care for you, what options do you have? You walk and you help because it's the right thing to do. Because, like, it drives me nuts why there's two city councillors that worked so diligently to tear down what the original purpose of the group was with a different name. And this is exactly why it didn't stop in any regard. Because they don't seem to understand the work that's being done. They seem to take it as some kind of power relationship or power dynamic that's trying to detract from them and take things from them. And that's literally not it. Literally not. It is, people need a fucking mediator when there is so much violence involved. In the next episodes of Return to Thunder Bay, another system fails, the local media. And into this void steps an amateur whose goal is not to help, but to exploit, sensationalize, and blame. Until he becomes the subject of lurid headlines, not the author. Are we going to talk about him? Can we? Are we allowed to? And I was like... Ooh, be careful. Don't write that name because that wasn't the person who did it. I didn't divulge any information on my end, but I just told him, I said, uh, you have the wrong person. And he was so intent that this guy was th the guilty party because he was bragging about it so hard. And he just ran with stories like that all the time. Also, the trial of Braden Bushby becomes the trial of the late Barbara Kentner. How her death was her own fault, according to her killer's lawyer.
Return to Thunder Bay is hosted by me, Ryan McMahon. Research and reporting by John Thompson and Ryan McMahon. Written by Ryan McMahon, John Thompson, and David Crosby. Produced and edited by David Crosby. Music by Chris Dirksen. Mixing and sound design by Chandra Bullicon. Jesse Brown is the executive producer of Return to Thunder Bay. This episode was made possible by the generous support of Matt Williamson. Additional thanks to APTN, CBC, TV Newswatch, TVO, and Global News for their reporting. If you like what we do, please support us at canadaland.com slash join. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 